And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com video lock your front door, your sanity. I'll never forget this. It was 2008, the building was ready. I sent out closing notices on a Monday and on Wednesday, Lehman Brothers went. And we were like, holy shit, what's gonna happen now? And that's when the struggle happened. Joe Desert is the president of Desert Development. He's one of the kings of Miami real estate. He's made billions on a stretch of sand just north of Miami. One man's silver treasures. A sterling $20 million collection of wheels that matches his wings. I met a South American guy. He goes, you know what the problem with all you Americans and Dubai people? He says, the problem with all you Americans is you have this great, great, great idea. And then you f*** to death. <laughs> In 2001, we signed up with Donald Trump. It was right after September 11th, which was a very scary moment. We changed our project from the Ocean Grand to the Trump Grand. That was what got me realizing that this branding thing really works. You know, I mean, I had Trump on TV every Wednesday night for The Apprentice. That was the best advertising I could have had to start a brand. I mean, where do you find ideas? Where do you go for the next thing? Are you bringing things in from? Wow, that's a tough question. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has supported this show for over two years now, so give them some love. They're one of my all-time favorite tools. And now HubSpot is starting to integrate more AI into their products, which means less time in office. Work smarter, not harder. The latest research says that marketers have been able to cut their working time on manual admin tasks in half with the help of AI. Remember, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by somebody who uses AI. So AI tools have been integrated into the HubSpot platform. ChatSpot and Content Assistant allow you with a simple chat-based command to summarize research, create copy, pull data reports in seconds. So you can spend more time on the action items that really count. Listen, the vibe is work smarter, not harder. And with HubSpot, 
They're letting you actually enjoy some out-of-office time this summer. Get started for free today at HubSpot.com. Well, there were several inflection points. You know, when I first came down to Florida, I was 18 years old. I was going to University of Miami. And I got on the plane, and I remember, and you know, I was, I was born in New York. And as a New Yorker, you're taught that New York City is the center of the universe, and everything happens over there. And so, you know, as I got on the plane, I, I remember saying to myself, don't let yourself get stuck here in Miami. And uh, I was 18 years old. It was, the year was 1993. And, um, and I said to myself, you know, don't get stuck here in Miami. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. I came down. Four years of college, you get accustomed to, to you know, you start to acclimate. And, and I, I fell in love with this place. And so if it wasn't for my college experience down here, I think I don't think I ever would have come here. I was, uh, I was, I was, it was between University of Miami and Boston University. And at the time, my father owned a hotel here. And he said, look, we're real estate guys in New York. We don't know anything about the hotels. Go learn the hotel business. Go. We own a hotel. You should work and go to school. And I said, Dad, I'm, I want to go to college. I don't want to work, you know. So uh, that's what happened the first year. I went to college. I didn't do very well in college. You know, I was, uh, I was partying too much. And I was getting, as, as we all were. <laughs> as we all were. I mean, that's what college is about, right? It's a, it's a growing experience. So we were getting C's and D's. And my father said to me, look, we know you're never going to be a good student because I wasn't even a good student in high school. Um, I had decent SAT scores, but that was it. And so he said, we know you're never going to be a good student, so I want you to come to work every day and take your classes at night. And I was like, whoa, that kind of sucks. But, but I, um, I figured it out. You know, I, I, he gave me a job in the hotel uh, in management, in reservations. I was in the reservation department. And, um, and so I was going to work every day from 10 to 4. And then I'd drive down and start my classes at 5.30. And I'd drive down back to University of Miami, start classes at 5.30 to 9. And then still went out and partied every night. You know, so it was still college. <laughs> you know, I still had my, my experience. But um, and that was when South Beach was just starting to get cranky. It was when it was really, really cool. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, and, and of course, I was younger back then. So it was also really cooler. Now that you get older, you, you know, you don't need this stuff anymore. <laughs> so, so um yeah, so that's 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 my I guess an inflection point. What brought me down here and what got me to want to stay here, and 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 want to and want to start a business here. Um, we owned a hotel. It was a little. It was a, a hotel with 227 rooms, and uh, I learned the hotel business. I learned I don't like the hotel business. I learned that real estate was um, was something you know happening here in, in Miami, and, and so uh, and so after I graduated. I went to work for a, a, a sales and marketing company called International Sales Group (ISG), and I worked for them for about two years in the real estate world and, and selling real estate. Um, I told my father, "Hey, this uh, this this area here in Miami is an area called Sunny Isles. It's about to pop." And so he came down and he saw the vision, and he of course had the vision as well. And and so um, in 1997, he started buying up a lot of properties, and that was when I first graduated from from university. So, um, but we've never built anything as a family before. So you want to talk about inflection points. There was a second inflection point. Um, we started a project in 1999 called the Ocean Grand. And we had partners in that project, partners with a real development background, great experience, built beautiful buildings. And, uh, and I don't remember exactly what the argument was, but there was an argument between my father and them about how fast we're moving and how things are going too slow and this is et cetera, et cetera. And so 
they got into an argument where they said, well, why don't you buy us out? And my father, I'll never forget, we're sitting there in, uh, in, in their office. I was, I was already 25 years old, I think it was. This is like 2000. And um, yeah, this is mid-2000. And, uh, and they said, why don't you buy us out? My father made a deal with me right there on the spot. He said, okay, this is how much I'll pay. Blah, blah, blah. I walked out of that office. I was shaking. I was like, what the fuck just happened here? Pardon my, pardon my French. I, You're good. I didn't know what was going on. It was the first time I had a cigarette in front of my father because I was like, what's really going on here? It was, it was getting me a little nervous. And, um, and, and, and that was it. He said, listen, he goes, he said, my father had great confidence in me, which was always very, very helpful. He said to me, you're smarter than all those three guys in that room together. You'll be able to figure it out. That's what he said to me verbatim. And because uh, I, I was telling him, Dad, who's going to build this? Who's gonna, we don't know how to build this. We never built it before. He goes, you're smarter than all those three guys in the room. You'll figure it out. And I was like, okay. I mean, and at that point, he hadn't built before. He hadn't. He hadn't done anything like this before. No, his his business in New York was buying existing buildings, um, converting them to lofts and, and and condos, simply changing elevators, changing heating and air conditioning, some windows if he needed to, some flooring, but never ground up construction. Never went through a permit phase. Dealt with architects. Da 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 da. Um, and and never really designed his own thing, you know, because those buildings in New York they're all square boxes, and you, you get what you get. Mm. So um, so. We came down and, and you know, like I said, I was shaking in my pants and and uh, and and that's really and he kind of threw me into the into the into the sea and said go, go swim, and that's how we figured it out. The real answer is, you know, construction is something that's been going on for thousands of years if you think about it since the pyramids. I mean, as far as we know, so it's not brain surgery. It's uh, you just got to learn how it's done in the process. And I kind of had a great on on the job learning uh, on the first building. After the first building, I kind of knew what I was doing by the second building. And by the third, no, no, that becomes second nature already at that point. And then to the point where almost it got a little boring. I said, let's change the game. Let's make, let's make life as difficult as possible and stick car elevators in a building and bring cars to yeah. the units. And, and so, you know, that's, that's, that was, uh, that was uh, what we did we starting 2012, 10 years ago, you know, with, with the Porsche Design Tower, um, which was a runaway success, home run success. Um, and and uh, we built buildings with... You see, because I always took the simplest form of thinking about it. I said, it's an elevator. It goes up, it goes down. What's wrong, you know? Um, of course, take, tell that to the fire department. It's a whole different story. They, they look at all the different problems. But, um, you know, they, but they, 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 when we first met with the fire department, they said to us, we cannot have – their concept is every time you start a car, there's an inherent risk of explosion, which is somewhat true. I mean, the engine is running and it's fire going through there and everything. So their, their, their concept was, we don't want you starting the car on the 30th floor, 50th floor of a building. Because you have an explosion there, it's a big problem. So that every, when we were trying to come up with this car elevator concept, we said, well, how, how are we going to do this? And, uh, and so every time they told us no, we went back to the drawing board and we found a way to make it yes. And there were systems that exist around the world. I found a lot of stuff on YouTube and on Google, you know, that I was able to contact people and say, hey, come over, we need to work together and see what we can do. And, and that's exactly how we piece this whole, this whole elevator system together. And, um, and then when we found out nobody else was doing it, they told me you should get a patent on this. So I went, I said, okay, how do you get a patent? They said, well, first you need a trademark. What do you want to call this thing? I, said, I don't know. What do you call it? What do you call this thing? It's a car lift. They, somebody said, well, why don't you call it the Deservator? I said, okay, let's call it the Deservator. And that name stuck. And it was, uh, it's kind of funny how, you know, now it's referred to as the Deservator in the office. And it was just to start as a joke, but, uh, but that's how the Desiree came to, came to be. 
I love this. I want to, I want to, I want to, I'll go into the deservator. I'll go into innovation in a second. I want to understand, like when you look at a project, so this is, you know, I'm assuming you got way more value out of working in the hotel, jumping in the projects uh, than you ever did in school. Like hands down, you got way, way more value I, because you did it. I, I learned what real business is about, you know, you know, everybody can exactly. do business in theory. But, you know, you know, you never understand a business until you're actually in it and all the surprise expenses and surprise issues and, and revenue uh, goals you need to hit, and et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, and, you know, I'll tell you more importantly, as a college student, it made me wake up in the morning, you know, because all my friends were waking up at noon and 11, at noon and 12 and one o'clock. And, and, you know, so, uh, so I was waking up every day by eight. I was on the, on the road by nine and the office by 10. So. I kind of started working at a young age, but also having a little responsibility and showing up to work. And, and, I, I, and I didn't want to just sit there and, and do nothing. So I actually had to increase revenues for the company and, uh, and show my worth over there. And so to show my dad that, hey, I'm not just a, a goof off student who's working, you know, at, at the hotel. And so we, we did sell. I did. I just did several different things that, uh, that increased revenue for the company. Some of them not so legal, um, but, you know, it all worked out. So when you're looking at Sunny Isles, because this Sunny Isles was that first major vision that you had, you saw Sunny Isles, you started buying up land. So that's interesting because there's a lot of tactical things that probably people that are listening to this that are in real estate could be like, yeah, I've, I've done those tactical things when I've built my own build or I haven't done an elevator, but you know, I know how to build a luxury or I know how to build this or I know how to do something that caters to a certain market. But the vision, the first thing that you did where you started buying up all these different properties. I'm very curious, why were you the one to be able to do that? Why has no one else at this point in history, when you started buying up those properties, look at Sunny Isles and see 20 years into the future, 30 years into the future? It's one of those things where when you, you know, you, you, you drive by something every single day and you just don't see it, you know, and uh, Sunny Isles specifically, if you know, if you know Miami, we are bordered by three three different towns you have bell harbor to the south which is for the longest time has been a very high-end neighborhood because of the mall and the condos on the ocean there um commanding big dollars you have aventura to the west which again which is a new neighborhood that started in the 80s or 90s they have the, the aventura mall there they have great condominium projects from williams island the point great places to live mystic point great places to live turnberry is there um and, and so that really brought a mass to the northern Miami area of people, a critical mass of people, and created, a, you know, a neighborhood there, which was a beautiful neighborhood. So, so you had Bell Harbor to the south, Aventura, a brand new neighborhood to the west, and then to the north, we had Golden Beach, which was the only place that you have houses on the ocean in all of Dade County. And so those houses back then were starting at $10 million back then. Today, you can't talk mm -hmm. to them for less than 25 to 30 um, for the nicer, newer houses. Um, and so, so it was we, us, you know, being New Yorkers flying in on the plane, you look down and you said, this is oceanfront surrounded by three of Miami's most affluent neighborhoods. It's a natural that this is going to be an infill, you know? And so that it was kind of a no brainer, but again, people driving by this every single day, all they saw were those motels, those crappy motels. And they didn't, they didn't see the, you know, the, the basic fundamentals of how this is going to fill back in. And so, um, we, we also heard at the time that the city was going to incorporate. And when cities incorporate, the first thing they do, because they need to fill their, their city coffers, is they change zoning codes so they can start charging developers money and, 
and, and making money that way and cre- increasing the tax base of the city. The city had two or three story motels all over the place, which were at the time that we bought, it was part of unincorporated Dade County, which means if you needed a police officer there, it took 45 minutes to get a cop. And, and so what that does is allows for, you know, the world to go bad. We were buying motels that were full of prostitutes and drug dealers and stuff like that. And, uh, and having to deal with all that. And that's why, that's another reason why nobody wanted to touch it. But we weren't afraid of that. We, again, we saw it as land, not as a hotel. Um, and so people were buying these properties based on hotel cash flows. And, and we said, no, this land is going to be very valuable one day. And, and so we came in and, and, and bought as much as we could. Um, we actually sold two pieces to go get funds to buy more. And, and it was a, it was a, it was a great game of Monopoly. I mean, literal Monopoly. It was all on board, you know? So, yeah. Um, and, and so we were able to come in, and my father was very aggressive on the buying. Um, I learned a lot from him. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money, and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins, and I've been there, juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. 
So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. On, on how to get people to sell when they don't exactly want to sell and, and how to convince them to, into doing it. And so... Uh, you know, it, it was great. I mean, it was really a great experience on the on the buy side. And then, like, that was in 97. In 99, 2000, we started our own project. In uh, 99, we started with the, with the partners. 2000, we took over. Um, and then that, that's it. That's all she wrote from there. I mean, it's been, you know, in 2001, we signed up with Donald Trump. It was right after September 11th. We were talking to him 
before September 11th, but then September 11th happened, which was a very scary moment. Nobody knew what was going to happen in the world. And, uh, and so we said, we need a shot in the arm on this project to help sales, et cetera. And uh, we heard Trump was looking for something to do in, in, South, in South Florida. So we signed him up. And, um, and we changed our project from the Ocean Grant to the Trump Grant. And, uh, and that, was, that would be the first of like many major partnerships. That would be, obviously, first, so that, that was the first one. That was what got me realizing that this branding thing really works. You know, I mean, mm. I had Trump on TV every Wednesday night for The Apprentice. That was the best advertising I could have had. You know, I mean, it was, it, 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 you'd see people come in. Oh, I saw him last night on TV and then they buy units. It was amazing. Um, and, and, and of course, he was showing up to our events because he wasn't running for office at the time. And, you know, so he, he, was, he was a great, great, great partner to have. A great situation, great relationship. We did very well. We sold out all these buildings. We did get stuck in the downturn, 2008. Um, not anybody's fault. It was just the way the market uh, got, got, got halted there. I did have three, four buildings, four Trump buildings. I had the Trump Royale and Trump Towers 1, 2, and 3 that went into, uh, in, into a special servicing um, because of the, the crisis. And uh, by 2011... You know, we, we really, 2008 was when it started happening. Banks didn't know what the hell they were doing until 2010. We finally made a deal in 2010 to how to, how to get out of this situation. Um, everybody had their head in the sand for a good year. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, and, then, and then by 2010, we started to make a, a formal deal on how we're going to pay these banks back. And by late 2011, I had paid back $475 million in debt. Um, Selling wow. unit by unit by unit by unit, one by one by one. We were fortunate that we had great marketing down in Brazil. Um, the Brazil, the real was very strong to the dollar at the time. So the Brazilians were coming like crazy and the Trump brand brought them in because, um, you know, they, they love the branded projects. And, and so Brazil saved us. We, we, uh, we actually didn't lose money during the, the crisis. We made less money, but we didn't lose anything. We didn't lose any buildings. I think I can say I'm the only developer in all of Miami that didn't lose a building, didn't have a deed in the box, didn't have some sort of special deal with it. I just, uh, I, we, we were able to get extensions on our loans and payback scenarios, and, and we hit all the payback scenarios. We hit the payback scenario to the point where we got all the interest rebated to us because that was the incentive to sell faster. <coughs> very impressive. Very impressive. So, like you would say, like, you weathered, not just weathered that storm. We it won. was not, it we was won. not, yeah. And, oh, wait, hell, you want to talk about winning. We, um, we picked up a few other projects in that thing that went bust. And, uh, well, that's people make money in times like that. Exactly. People make a shit ton of money yeah. when I mean, you, you, you had the op. First of all, you had the playbook, yeah. which is the most important. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and you know what? We, you go ahead. We, no, I, I was buying mortgages. I bought a mortgage from a guy who was half under construction. I paid seventeen million dollars, resold it for fifty-five. You know, after going through a wow. foreclosure, I mean, it was there was money to be made all over the place. Yeah, you always have had an incredible amount of confidence in the work that you do. And I think that that's, uh, that is an advantage. It's, it's a competitive advantage that I think people don't understand as much as they should because every project you've taken on, even even coming from when your dad bought those developer or, or the, the builders out of that first project, you were like, you know what? We trust ourselves. We'll figure it out. That's, and that's always been key. That, it seems like that's like been your whole life. <laughs> that's, that's what I learned. I, I don't invest in companies that I don't own. People come to me with investment ideas. I said, if I don't run it and own it, you know, I'll bet on myself all day long. But I have, I have confidence issues betting on other people. I try not to buy I, stocks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a friend who was one of the first uh, founding guys at Yahoo. 
And he said to me, he said, never buy stocks in any of these tech companies. They're spending money like crazy. They don't have to listen to anybody. They're doing whatever they want. If it was your company, you'd cringe, you'd, you'd kill yourself, you know? So uh, <laughs> so I don't, I don't own stocks, but I, yeah, we invest in ourselves and we, we invest in businesses that we run. And, um, and although I don't love the hotel business, we own hotels, I, you know, we own restaurants. I hate the restaurant business too, but we have it, you know, but uh, that's what it is. Um, you know, I see a lot of people that get into real estate and they, and they start very small and they'll do fix and flips or I, I'm not even a real estate guy, but I, I see what my friends do and I see them operate at a certain level or they'll do like Airbnbs or they'll get so many, you know, multifamily. It seems like from the get go, you really went, you know, for these home run, large, large projects. So what what enabled you was it the confidence was it the relationships was it the i'm not afraid to fail i'll figure it out mentality because you went for these big projects almost immediately you're building a build from the ground up like you know you're coming out of university of miami at whatever 25 26 that's not a small thing a lot of people coming out of university are like yeah i'll buy my first house and i'll i'll fix it up and i'll flip it in a year and a half you're like no we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do this we're gonna do this enormous development and I mean, I got to say that a lot of the confidence came from my father and his confidence in me. And then when you sit there and do it on the job, you know, it's not that 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 hard. You figure it out. Every, my job, what I learned is the developer's job is a problem solving slash putting out fires kind of guy. Everything that has to do with money comes to us because we have to pay for it. So there's a hundred ways to handle every situation. And I learned from. I also had great, I mean, great people working with me that I learned a lot from. I learned how to build from my architect, Charles Seeger. He taught me so much on the construction side. I had a, a, a construction manager, an AC kid, who's no longer with us, greatest guy ever. He also taught me a lot about construction. So, I mean, you learn these things, you know, you, you've seen it. You didn't know how to uh, identify it with terminology, maybe, what you saw happening, but, um, but you see it. And, and, so, and so you learn. It takes a little bit to really become an expert. I'd say, I'd say after the third building, I really became a construction. I won't, I still don't call myself an expert, but I know enough to be dangerous. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know enough where a GC can't play with me, and they, they know that as well, um, because you, I've done this before. You know, and and so yeah, I guess I started with with. Uh, they say the only thing harder to build in a hotel is a hospital, and so I guess I started with the hardest form of construction going, which it was difficult. There were nights and days, and it was it was it was difficult. It was definitely difficult. But it was also figure it out, you know? Everything was a puzzle, figure it out. I love playing puzzles. I love playing cards. I love trying to figure things out. And as a matter of fact, that's where my father and I, where we split, um, you know, responsibilities. Uh, you know, at the time, we would say that he's the captain of the ship. He'd say, hey, we need to get to here. But I'm the navigator. I was going to figure out how to get there, you know? And so that, that's, that's kind of where we did. He said, hey, we, he was the one who started the, the, the Condo Hotel Partnership. With these guys and then inherited it to me i never thought that the condo hotel concept was such a great business said, why don't we just sell condos people want to buy condos we were sitting there convincing people that they want to buy a condo that they're not going to use and rent it out and in reality it's a great investment it's a great thing to own if you're not if you're planning on coming to miami less than a month a year but um but it was just a difficult sell because it was a new type of product and we had to teach people how it worked and explain to them the revenues and the splits and then you always have these naysayers well, what if my room's not going to get rented? What if the hotel doesn't work? By the way, you know, knock on wood, the hotel's been running since 2002, so we're 21 years, and and it's and it's doing unbelievable. I mean, the rates that we're, that we're getting today 
are four or five times what we thought we were going to get back in 2000. And so, um, you know, all those stories we told people you're going to rent for so much and that it, it's all true. You know, it all came true and, and, and the rental works and, and, and people are happy. I got 398 owners over there, all happy, all getting checks every single month for the last 21 years. Um, except for during COVID, we had an issue there. We'll talk about um, we'll talk. We'll, we can, that's another crisis. We'll go. We'll go into that because right. that's obviously a massive shift in in the South Florida environment right. and the people that moved down here and the money that came down here. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No. So um. So 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 I mean, it was selling a condo hotel back in two thousand one, two thousand two, which was a tough sell. We once we went into the condos, the Trump Palace, Trump Royale. Now we, I was selling condos with hotel services. So I was the first guy to really sell the hotel lifestyle in in these condominiums where you can order. You know, a, a bottle of a bottle of uh, vodka from the hotel, and they'll bring it over at three o'clock in the morning, or or order room service to your apartment, or have your your full apartment catered by 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 the hotel chef, and and so we were doing that as the first ones. That's before all these hotel chains got into the management, the Ritz Carlton, the St. Regis of the world. You know, um, that's uh, before they even got in there. We we kind of created that concept, and it and it stemmed really from me being a New Yorker. And, you know, you need a pack of cigarettes at 3 o'clock in the morning. You can call a bodega and it's there in five minutes, you know. And I said, how come we don't have that here in Florida? We'd have to get in the car, go to the gas station if it's open, you know. So I said, Florida needs that kind of, Miami needs that kind of, you know, New Yorkness, I will. Service. And, and so that, we, yeah. we sold it as part of the package. You bought in the, in the condos. You had full access to the hotel, to the bars, to the beach, to the spa, etc. We still have a, and I still put spas in my buildings, but we didn't staff them with masseuses or with the, the, you know, the, the people who do the, the facials and all that kind of stuff. The idea was it's in the hotel. When you want it, you just call them right over. They walk next door and they're there. So you, they, they're not sitting there on the association's dime, twiddling their thumbs and costing money to the association. So the concept went crazy. Every, I mean, we sold these buildings out textbook, you know. Um, I sold out even the Trump Royale, 384 units. Textbook sold it out. But then we sold it out in 2006, 2005, 2006. Built the building that was ready. I'll never forget this. It was 2008. The building was ready. I sent out closing notices on a Monday. And on Wednesday, Lehman Brothers collapsed. And we were like, holy <laughs> shit. What's going to happen now? And that's when the struggle happened. you know. And that's where I think really separated the men from the boys back then. Um, I had 384 units at Royale that I think about 60 closed. I had 320 to sell. I had 890 units at Trump Towers were like maybe 150 closed. And we had to buckle down and start selling. That was it. I mean, I went and I personally got on the phone with every single one of my contract holders. A guy had a $3 million apartment with, with just, that was the problem here. The, the real problem back then was everybody put 20% deposits. So he had a $3 million apartment with $600,000 deposit. I'd say to him, hey, buddy, listen, don't lose your deposit. I don't want us to take your 600000 Let me apply it to something for a million bucks. You know, mm -hmm. that used to be a million five. We took prices down to a million. I applied it to 600000 and he would come and close. And that's how I was negotiating one by one by one by one with 800 people trying to get him to close. A lot of them just said, you know, screw you on and try and get my deposit back and went to a lawyer. Um, then I was negotiating with a lawyer and uh, who... Who, you know, I really learned what the term of, of uh, you know, keep your friends closer and your enemies closer. You know, <laughs> I took I took the lawyer to lunch. I said to him, look, you know, you and I, we're going to be here after the fact. These clients are here today, gone tomorrow. We need to work together. 
And, you know, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was an unscrupulous lawyer and threw his clients under the bus to make a fee. So, <clears throat> so it, it all, you know, but this was about getting in there myself, not listening to a sales director, not listening to people, getting in there yeah. myself and making the calls myself and meeting with the people myself. And I really got my hands dirty in the trenches, negotiating with the banks, negotiating with, with a, in, you know, I don't know if this is good to say on a, on a, pri on a public call, but negotiating with the bluff of, hey, take the keys back. I would have never given the yeah. keys back, but I always have to say, hey, you can take the keys back um, as, my, as my out. Um, and so that's how we negotiated. We got good terms that were great for that. Listen, they got paid back. You know, nobody, they got paid back in full. So everybody else who was discounting loans 50%, 60%, I walked on water when I get, got these guys back, all their money, 100%, minus the interest because they offered it back to me if I paid them back in time. So long story short, I mean, you know, I was a, the only guy who paid back loans in 2011. When we, at that time, we're sitting there all looking at each other saying, I was selling at a thousand bucks a foot. I just lowered my prices down to 500 a foot. Construction costs are even higher than that now. You know, post-COVID, post-crisis, everything changed. How am I going to sell the same exact 2,000, 3,000 square foot unit in the same market when I got my own product competing at less money? So, you know, we all looked at each other and said, it's just simply not going to happen, you know? So we said, well, let's change the game. And that's when we've heard that Porsche was looking for somebody to, to do something with, and we were able to link up with them. Um, as a matter of fact, we linked up with them already in 2007. We signed the agreement with them in 2007 when we thought the world was going to continue forever. And uh, when the crisis happened, we, uh, we agreed to put a, a stay on the agreement that, that bought us a few years. Um, but in that time, we got to play. You know, we were playing with the architects. Yeah. You know, we weren't rushing to do something. And that's what gave us the time to figure out how to make this elevator. Um, everybody was not busy. Everybody meeting in the construction world. From the elevator departments in Miami... They weren't reviewing plans because nobody was starting new projects. So I had everybody's attention and I got everybody's excitement and I got everybody's buy-in on this thing. You know, this car elevator was a, was a real coup to get done because there was more no's than yeses to get it done. Um, and so I got everybody's buy-in on it because they weren't busy and they loved the concept. And we came in there politely and, and, and addressed every single one of their concerns, but by far more than they ever expected. Um, and so, and that's how we came up with this concept. And then we took to the market and um, we, it was very interesting. We started, you know, the, the, we went to the city to get the building approved for, as, a, as a site plan approval. And was that our, before the elevator concept or well, is that? No, as, as we were figuring it out, we didn't, okay. figuring, we figured out more or less how to build it. We didn't figure out who's going to build it. It was in okay. the plans. Um, we had renderings done. We had some virtual realities done and we were codenaming. The project was built on the site that was called Golden Nugget. So we codename our, our projects by the old site just so you know, it doesn't get out in the press, et cetera, et cetera. The architect left on the plans Porsche Design Tower when he submitted it to the city. And somebody in the press picked it up and it made front page of Yahoo Autos on Yahoo at the time. I don't know who uses Yahoo anymore, but Yahoo at the time <laughs> was well read. And, uh, and, and it went crazy. The phone started ringing. And people, I want to buy, I want to buy, I want to buy. And we weren't ready. All we had was a set of plans and an approval at the city. So we weren't ready. So my salespeople said, I have people. I, want. I said, your people just want to see what this is all about. They're not for real. They just want to show and tell. I said, if anybody really, really, really wants to buy a unit like this and loves it so much, show me that they're that interested. Give me a check for $100,000. We'll put it in escrow and I'll sit down with them personally and, and, and show them the unit. We got 34 checks. 
34 people stepped up for $100,000, sight unseen. I had meetings with them. I had to run to the Porsche design store. I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a meeting with this guy, and he's going to walk out with a, with, a, with, a, with a Xerox. So I ran to the Porsche design store. I bought some sunglasses and pens to give him as a little gift as they walk out. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and, and we sold 34 people sight unseen without even knowing. They just loved the concept of the elevator. And then we opened up the sales office, and that was it, you know? I, uh, yeah. I, I thought it was very important to show how the cars communicate with the unit. So we built these little dollhouse maquetas, you know, like these little scale models. But they're dollhouse scale models. And, uh, and they really helped like, you know, you know, show the picture. They really helped kind of place the client in the unit, show them, you know, how the car communicates with the living room, et cetera, et cetera. And we had some great videos on, on how the elevator was working. And our competitors were so scared. I'll never forget, there was this one jerk from the building next door who kept on telling people, oh, you're going to want to go to the opera at night and the car elevator is not going to work and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, that's, and that's how they were trying to sell their projects. Not, not by selling their projects, by, by scaring people into art. And, and then so this, the, the buyer would come back, oh, he said the elevator is not going to work. I said, well, you know, that's him. What it is. is. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then I made a point because that really upset me during the construction. Um, I made a point that when the building was open, I may, I, I had, we had our opening uh, remarks and everything else. I had 2,000 people there. We opened the building. Alicia Keys came to sing. It was a big deal. And I made a point to say, you remember that guy, and everybody knew who I was talking about. And I'm not going to mention his name here. But everybody, I said, remember that guy who's telling everybody these elevators aren't going to work and this building's not going to work? I said, who's going to listen to that idiot now? And, you know, that was, you know, so um, it, it, was, it was almost like, you know, I got my, my revenge by, by, by building the building properly and making everything work the way I promised it to. And, uh, Good. And discrediting, <laughs> discrediting my competition along the way. As you all know, Success Story is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Network has incredible podcasts like the Gold Digger Podcast. If you are looking for a new podcast, you have to check it out. It's hosted by Jenna Kutcher. The Gold Digger Podcast helps you discover your dream career with productivity tips, social strategies, business hacks, inspirational stories, and so much more. I tune into them every single week. They just did an episode on a four-day work week experiment that they actually conducted in their own office. A few other recent episodes I enjoyed were on how to hire A players in your organization in 14 days or less. Jenna Kutcher is an OG in the podcasting game. You got to go check out the Gold Digger podcast at the HubSpot Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcast. Tell me, tell me, I want to talk about luxury and innovation. So I want to understand pre, pre you building in Florida, there was a version of, of South Florida, there's a version of luxury. And then you started to innovate. You innovated with the amenities that you add on. You innovate with the car elevator. And then you get to the point where you start to think, I'm going to co-brand. I co-branded with Trump. I'm going to co-brand with now Porsche. Where does that thought come from? How does Porsche equate to a luxury place to live? Because you know now you have a car company. You could have had a car elevator and you could have partnered up with LVMH or you could have partnered up with any other luxury brand. But you chose car lux car brands as like the luxury partner. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, you know, I can answer that question in four different steps. Um, first step was, yeah, the Trump got me addicted to the branding. I realized that we get tremendous amounts of press without having to pay for it. That's where I realized that this branding thing is a great way to, you know, a project starts, they call themselves wind right or sun or rise or whatever stupid name they come up with who's going to know about it it doesn't say where you are it doesn't say what you are it doesn't even say you know you just and so that developer is going to spend millions of dollars 
promoting that brand, and then what happens when the building's over? It's gone, right? And he spent all that money to create what is this building, and then he's and he sold out and is done. We said, well, why? You know, I, when when I when I realized the Trump effect and how positive that was, I said to myself, why? Why? You know, we don't need to create brands; we can associate with brands, and that's what we did. So now, when Porsche came and they were looking for something to do, at first I was like, I'm a huge Porsche fan. I, I don't know if, if you know, but I'm a huge. I have one on my wall in my house. I have about, I think I have about 17 Porsches that I own from all different ranges, old ones, new ones, and everything in between. So I'm a huge Porsche fan. So I was chomping at the bit when when they said, "Hey, let's do a building." But then we all sat there in the room and asked the same exact question: What does Porsche have to do with real estate? How do you incorporate Porsche into real estate? And my father was the one who piped up and said, we need to put a car elevator in the building. Oh, and I see. That's the connection. That's the connection. He said, we need to put a car elevator in the building and make it, make it a car building. And the idea at first was like, eh, you know, I don't know, but we had to start thinking about it. And then as we started to look at it and, and we sat there with an architect and said, hey, how do we put a car in a garage? And then we started reading the zoning code. That's when we had the aha moment. Um, the aha moment was that garages in the units above 24 feet high do not affect your FAR, your floor area ratio, which means your sellable square feet, which means a given site, Porsche, for example, had a, a, a maximum sellable square footage by FAR, by code, of 525,000 square feet, which is already a big building. We found out that by putting the garages up there, it doesn't take away from the 525,000 feet. So we took the philosophy of, hey, let's give these people some free space. You know, since it's free to us, it's free to them. And, and so our marketing efforts, we sold the entire apartment uh, where my neighbors were selling at $1,200 a square foot. I was selling at $1,200 a square foot too. However, I was selling the entire square footage, the apartment and the garage. So where you had a unit that was 5,000 square feet total that we were selling for 1,200 or $6 million price point, um, that unit was, was actually 3,500 square feet interior. And we disclosed it. We didn't trick anybody. We didn't do so, but, but it's but because I was able to sell the garage space as part of the unit. And the answer was people wanted it. You know, if you didn't want it, we, there was a lot of people who said, hey, this is not for you. Why do I need my car in my living room? What if it's dirty? Hey, this is not for you. Go next door. Go someplace else. But then we did, we found a, a group of people saying, especially South Americans and celebrities. You see, we, I did it. I wanted the car. I thought the coolest thing in the world is your car in your living room. Two cars in your living room. It's very cool. Everybody <laughs> has their Picasso on their walls. Fuck Picasso. I'm, I want my $25 million Ferrari GTO in my living room, right? In a Porsche building or in any branded building because, like, the brand really didn't matter. Um, so, so that was my goal. But when the buyer saw it, and the South Americans and celebrities saw it, they saw something completely different, which I didn't even notice or pay attention to. They saw a way of getting home without seeing anybody or asking for assistance. They saw a way of, of privacy, of getting into their apartment, going up to their apartment and inside their unit without having to go through the lobby, without having to say hello to anybody. Um, and, and it really made it like a single family home. And so that's where the units started selling like crazy because People like the idea of having a house in the sky. And it was a real privacy. Every other condo sells house in the sky because they have an outdoor barbecue. That's you know bullshit, in my opinion. We did we did not just the outdoor barbecue. I put swimming pools on every balcony. 
So you didn't have to go downstairs. You know, I have the car elevator in the unit. We have a restaurant in the building that orders room service. So this is a this is a building where you never have to leave your unit if you want to be a hermit. You have everything you need in your house, in your house in the sky. And and it took so well to the market that uh, it sold and resold and resold. And we're still doing resales right now. I mean, the, the, and then so from there, we um, I was on a trip to uh, in, in Dubai and I stayed at the Burj Khalifa at the Armani Hotel. And I saw this Armani thing and I'm like, how come we don't have this in America? You know, and so I contacted the Armani guys and I said, listen, I'm the branding guy in the United States. Nobody else is doing what I'm doing at the time. You know, since then, they've all copied me. But um, no, nobody's doing what I'm doing. I did I did uh, the Trump buildings. I'm doing Porsche. Now, let's let's see what we can do with this one. I um, And and so I had also signed up Lalique, the glass company, to do a project with them. Unfortunately, nothing has happened with there, but I did have them as a brand signed up. So um, I went to Armani. I said, look, I'm, I'm your guy. Let's do a project and signed them up. And uh, and that's where the uh, residence by Armani Casa came from, which was a $960 million build um, and uh, sold out. And that was where we finished that right before the pandemic. I started selling that in 2016. We finished it in 2019. End of 2019, we had our opening party March 7th of 2020. We had Pitbull come and sing to, to the crowd. Amazing party, maybe 2,000, 3,000 people at the party. And then the and already the Italians from Armani told us we can't come to the party because COVID was starting to happen. COVID is already starting over there, yeah. And then so March 7th, March 14th, lockdowns. So, uh, you know, we had, at that time, we had 20% still left to sell in Armani. Um, We'd sold 80%, closed 80%. And then then the lockdowns happened and we didn't know what the hell was going to happen. We thought having this huge party with Pitbull will make a lot of noise as we do and, and we'll sell out the rest of the units. So that didn't happen. Um, but then, so COVID, we were kind of stuck. We didn't sell anything, but at the same time, we, we had paid off our loan. So we weren't like with a gun to our head. This is all profit we're sitting there. So it was fine. Um, we just had to pay maintenance on the units, carry the units, not a problem. And then, but then towards, towards the, to, yeah. 2001, sorry, 2021, 20, October 21, I remember the world kind of opened up and that's when we just, we sold everything. Between October and January, we sold the last 20% in three months. So what happened to the world the the even the south florida world the 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 miami world the aventura the sunny isles what happened to that world after covid because i find it's just been absolute chaos in a good way yeah for this for for this i mean i'm down here because of it yeah right i so, mean it was other- it was it was chaotic in, in many places i mean you know really draconian shit going on over there people getting arrested for True. not wearing masks and and you know and that wasn't happening here you know and that's where and the word got out hey miami's open no, it's not happening there, you know, and the word really got out and, 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 um, you know, they, they, they taught us this in, in, uh, at university. It was the, uh, the prisoner's dilemma. You heard about the prisoner's dilemma. You remember that? Uh, a, a little bit. Yeah, I okay. do. Well, I do. The, sim- <laughs> yeah. the, the simplest short, the shortest form of prisoner's dilemma is, is everybody else is closed and you're open. You're going to get the business, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the shortest way of, of figuring out that prisoner's dilemma. And that's exactly what happened, you know? So, um, everybody else is closed. We were open for business and, you know, DeSantis took a risk and it paid off for him and it, it all worked out, you know? So, um, uh, I got COVID twice. It was nothing. It was a flu. 
I also think the climate here in Florida, because it was it was warmer, it, it didn't yeah. you know it didn't cause the COVID as much. Well, people are outdoors too. They're not all grouped in in tiny rooms and whatnot all winter. Like at some places up north, I think that helps. Right, and and then and then yeah. the other part that brought people here was and I and I really applaud the uh, the the police force in all of Miami, Sunny Isles especially, but all of Miami. There was none of that BS going on of rioting of, mm-hmm. that was happening around the country. Where things started, they shut it down real quick. I remember there were burning cop cars all over the place. There was one police car burned in Miami, kind of thing that that day. That, you know, we didn't have those issues. We didn't have crime issues, or I mean, we always have crime issues, right? But it, the police here take it seriously. There's no defunding going on here. There's none of that stuff. They took it seriously, and 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 they're strong, and they don't mess around. And you know, and that created a real safe environment for everybody. You know, so it was COVID, and it was safe, and and and. It was a reason to come down. I mean, there's so many places in America that turned to shit over the George Floyd and everything else that, you know, it was, it's, it's it, it really scary, to be honest with you. So I got to say more luck than brains that were here, you know, I mean, and for us. I can't say that we, we knew that was going to happen, but we happened to be in the right place at the right time when, with, with respect to after COVID. And, uh, and so that's clearing the way. And now, as far as real estate in the United States, I think we're one of the few markets that are still popping, you know? What what happened? So what did you see post COVID? You had money moving down from New York. You had money moving from probably LA. Probably some of LA went to Vegas too. But Vegas talk to me Texas, about the yeah. influx of yeah. Talk about the influx of cash. What people are starting to pay. Do you think this is going to maintain? Like when you build your next build, what are you expecting in terms of buyers that have moved down here now? Well, definitely the demographic has changed. We used to get a lot of South Americans, where the South American the market today is rough because of the exchange rates. So that's so they're not there. But what happened specifically was, you know, there was a lot of people coming for a small amount of inventory on the high end, right? That's what you heard about. And the small amount of inventory on the high end had to continue to go up based on the bidding wars that these people created amongst themselves. And at the end of the day, they still got a deal because whatever they bought, spending too much money is still, you know, a 30% discount to New York as to what they're paying over there. True. So, you know, and, and they're on the waterfront in a tax-free environment. I mean, they, they won. They won. They did right. You know, so... Um, so, so that, so, but what happened was the, the market went crazy because there was only a certain amount of homes and a tremendous amount of buyers. <clears throat> but, and it didn't, and like I said, it affected us in that we sold out 60 Armani units in 90 days, you know, which is kind of like pretty fast, you know. Um, but in, in the pre construction game, which we're in, it kind of rising tide raises ships, but didn't raise the pre construction ship because everybody wanted something now. And so anybody who was selling today got a premium on what they were selling, but then they couldn't replace it because everything else went up. So um, the, pre- the pre-construction game was is a slow and steady kind of turtle mm-hmm. that, that, that wins. It's uh, it's designed for people who are planning to the future because these buildings aren't ready for three, four years. Um, and somebody who likes to pay as you go, so to speak. I mean, we're, our 50% deposits, we take in, in 10% increments, uh, five payments over the course of four years. So... That makes it comfortable for a, for for a buyer for somebody who wants to you know slowly move the money out of the country, um, those those things are you know that's where the pre-construction market goes. So where the market went crazy, we got the benefit of the higher price per square foot on on what things were selling, uh, and we were able to sell at a higher price per square foot. But then of course costs went up. So you know although we're selling for more money, we're not making more money. You know um, unfortunately. Uh, costs went up in ratio, and even I, actually higher than than, uh, than than the cost per square foot. And then stupid costs are still happening. Insurance, insurance is like completely out of control. 
Um, you know, concrete and construction materials are getting back in control, but labor has gone out, out of control. Labor moved up a good 40, 50% from where it used to be pre-pandemic. So labor rates. So, so there's still more expensive stuff that, you know, and, and it's costing more expensive. So we're selling for more, costing more, trying to make a spread. That's, that's the name of our game, you know. I know. And, and, but you still innovate. So, I mean, if you look at, like, I would say, I would say that you are defining a lot of the, the, the future of luxury in South Florida. So, I mean, like we, we're starting going through this path. You started with amenities, you do uh, a desert elevator, car elevator. Now you're bringing in Michelin star chefs into your building. Uh, you have uh, one in the Bentley right now and, and speak about that for a second. But the, the question is, where do you find ideas? Where do you go for the next thing? Are you bringing things in from Dubai, for example, that you're still looking at? Or are you finding new ways to innovate in South Florida that haven't even been done in Dubai? Like, where's your vision for the future of luxury? Yeah, we're, we're well ahead of Dubai. You know, there's, they're trying to play catch up with us at this point. I mean, and if you go there, Dubai, you know, Dubai specifically ruined the branding concept. I think there's 82 branded residences there. They're branding wow. everything from, you know, from like, from like, Big, big lighter tower, you know. I mean, like, <laughs> it's throwing everything on the tower names and trying to, you know. I went there. There's jewelry brands that you you'd never even buy anyone one of their jewelry, but they're putting it on a brand over there. Mm. Um, watch brands are putting on buildings. Kind of, they're 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 exploiting the concept, you know. And as as everything happens, you know, I met I met a South American guy. I don't know if this is fit the print here, but I met a South American guy. He goes, you know what the problem with all you Americans and and I, and I'm taking this to to to, to the Dubai people. He says. The problem with all you Americans is you guys have this great, great, great idea, and then you fuck it to death. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and, and uh, that's you know, I'll never, I'll never forget when you told me that because it's true. Yeah, but it's, it's so true. It's really true. So, so, and here we have this this great idea with the branding, and then the Dubai people are fucking it to death over there. But um, and and really, you know, using it too too thinly. Um, what we do with our branding and the luxury, where do the ideas come from? It comes from everything that I would like to see in my own personal residence. I have a philosophy of if I can't, if I can't live there, I can't sell it. So everything I do is as if I was moving and living in the building myself. And, and I'm a pretty, uh, I guess, uh, stuck up discerning guy, if you will. I like everything to be absolutely meticulous and perfect all the time. I have a little OCD, so things have to be perfectly linear. And, and I'm like that. I walk into my buildings today and fix this, fix that, because you know I don't like things out of place. Um, so it's, it's all a matter of what can make this better. Why don't we have this? And let me tell you something. The, 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 getting the chef for Bentley was 10 years in the making because I tried to do it for Porsche and I couldn't get it done. I couldn't get a chef to come lend his name to us, et cetera, et cetera. So finally, Todd English came up, stepped up to the plate. He's a great guy, easy to work with. He understood the program. He understood what was going on and, and he jumped on board. And so we were able to get him, you know, what one what made me realize, and I told you from back back in the in the Trump Towers days, was what we needed here in Miami, and to raise the bar was a level of service, and so a lot of developers went ahead and cheated and 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 took on um, hotel management companies to do the service, which, in several cases, really didn't work, um, really didn't work, and what I mean by that is, there was in Bell Harbor there was a Regent, that Regent ran away, they stepped out. Um, there was in Sunny Isles here, there was a Rosewood, Rosewood ran away and stepped out, um, because they didn't want to be involved in this thing. Um, then, then there was the, the Carillon hotel, which was uh, the Canyon ranch, which is in lawsuits and everything right now. Canyon ranch stepped out. So I looked at that climate and I said, you know, 
the idea of having hotel services in a building, A, is probably going to be extremely expensive to run because that dog walker is sitting there anyway, whether you're walking your dog or not, whether you have a dog or not. Um, the, the, you know, the restaurants and everything, we know how to run them ourselves, so we know what that goes into. And all these additional hotels. And then the hotel management companies are there to make money. So there's a management fee of dead money that goes to the hotel management guy every year. So I, I, that's where I, I said to myself, you know, we should probably stay away from hotel deals, you know, and hotel branding. And because to run a hotel style condo, I can hire anybody from the Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton to come be my manager. And that's exactly what we did. So our, our buildings are run as hotels without the transient guests, you know, and that's where we, le we lifted that level of service already in, in the Trump Palace and Trump Royale buildings when I built them, when I finished those in 2005, 2006. And I think I might have spoiled the market um, because uh, mm -hmm. people got used to it. And then, and then other developers, they started saying, well, they have that at Trump. Why don't we do it? I remember I have a competitor. I'm not going to mention the name, but they were advertising their claim to fame was our swimming pool is at beach level so you don't have to walk down steps to the beach and i'm like that's great guys but i did that 10 years ago i mean what's your, you know what's your whole aha moment there you know so so um but so people really we were innovators from the beginning and and because of the things that we've seen and wanted to do and people copied us from day one and so yeah we we set i, I believe we set all what is expected in the luxury world and we're going to continue to do so there's lots of other things we can put into the building um, things from, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's people who manage your closet. I don't know if you've seen those people. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the women with the, with the $10,000 dresses, if you want them in Paris or you want them in Monaco or you want them in Miami, we'll ship them for it. So we can offer all the services. I have a feeling like, like I try not to do too much for the buyer because I don't want to tell him how to live. If he has those needs, mm -hmm. he can arrange it for them. That, that's the one point I wanted to say that you're still boots on the ground for the tours and the selling and you still do that. And you didn't. You don't have to do it, but you do. It's, it, you, you know what? You do have to do it because nobody presents your product the way you do. And 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 you know, I was there from the inception. I can tell you why the windows are this size versus this size. I can tell you why we did yeah. all these things. And and on Bentley again, we and I, I made my life even more difficult as usual. I, I put the swimming pools on the balcony, sunken in. I have this glass system that we have to spend three hundred fifty thousand dollars just to make sure it's approvable. You know that uh, that we can actually build it. Um, because of the winds and the hurricanes and whatnot. So, yeah, we, but, but again, it's a, for a unique building, you know, and these buildings bear my name as much as they bear the Bentley name. Um, we have started to transcend these brands as, you know, now people know I'm the brand guy. So although the brand's name is on the building, everybody knows that I'm the one behind it. And so it's important for us to really deliver an, an amazing product. And that's what we do, you know? I love it. Um, what would be one piece of advice for an entrepreneur that wants to build a luxury brand that isn't in, in real estate? What is like that, that piece of advice that would transcend any luxury brand? You mean to start a luxury brand today? Is Yeah, if they wanted to build something, I, I, what do you think is the most important thing? I mean, you know, listen, there's, there is always room at the top for quality and 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 quality good design functionality which is the key a lot of these people slap shit together and, and you know it's, it, the apartments are, are not functional um and so there's a, there's a lot of that that is but to, to start a brand i mean it's tough it's tough i even i can't start a brand how's that i associated with a brand and and therefore i built my brand based on associating with other brands that's, that's a lesson the, that's, that is a lesson that's the reality too. you know 
It's yeah. to go start a brand in the world today is like close to impossible, you know. So, so um, and not close to impossible. There's people who are doing it, you know. Tesla started out of nowhere, but he had a lot of money behind him. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. I was able to associate the brands based on my track record, based on on how well I've done, and so um, and that's that's why they uh, they continue to uh, to work with me. And and you know, I, I deliver, which is the key. Always deliver key. on your word. Um, well, we're is there anything else? Some some closing thoughts that uh, that you wanted to leave the audience with. Anything that we didn't go into, um, and also feel free to to tell people where to go to find out more information um, about the Bentley, about yourself, where they can go uh, they can go find. Well, you can definitely find more information at BentleyResidencesMiami.com. We have a great website that tells everything. And stop by the sales office. I spent eleven million dollars on that sales office, so I want everybody to come see it because. Really, it's the greatest sales office in Miami. I've had other developers tell me that. We um, we created the proper presentation to make somebody want to give you eight and a half million dollars by looking at a bunch of pictures. So uh, you know, and that's that's, <laughs> that's good, <important>, right? <laughs> so that, that's what's important, and that's and, and we got it done. And the project today is forty percent sold. Um, we, we're we're the market is a little slow. I'll be honest, but we're still selling four to five units a month. We want it to be selling ten to twelve a month, but we're selling half and. So we'll get to our 50% pre-sale in a few months after after we expected, and everything's going to work out, you know? So I'm, I'm very excited for this building. It's going to be the next iconic landmark here in Miami, for sure. Um, okay, let's 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 close this out. Uh, last last question is just to to give um, some of the audience some insights from, from your career, your experience. If you could tell your 20-year-old self one lesson, what would that be? Wow. That's a tough question. If I could tell my 20-year-old self, what would I tell him? Relax, it'll work out. <laughs> That's all I can <laughs> think of. I mean, relax, it'll work out. I was very nervous back then. Yeah. Very nervous in my 20s and 30s. I've, I've matured now. I'm 48 years old. Um, I can tell that I've, I've slowed down, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah. Also, the lesson that I have learned, I learned how to delegate. You got to learn to delegate. You got to learn to find good people. Don't be afraid to pay big salaries. You know, I was when in my 20s, I was like, this guy's going to make so much money. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was afraid to pay big salaries for talented people. And I was doing everything myself. You think now I walk into this. I was walking on the construction on a daily basis. I was there <laughs> doing everything myself. Even one time, I'll never forget, we, we had um, some concrete that needed to be chipped out. And the guy's like, yeah, we're going to have to chip out this concrete. And the GC says to me, it's going to cause a four-day delay. And I said, come on, show me what you're talking about. Took me up to the it was like 14th story of the building. You know, the building was there. And there was this huge, muscular black guy. Huge, like muscles, like muscles, muscles, you know. And he's sitting there with a jackhammer. And, and the jackhammer, he's jacking out the thing. And I'm like, I'm like, that looks like fun, right? And this guy was making it. I said, let me try to use the jackhammer. So I get behind the jackhammer. <laughs> And this thing was all over the place. I was like, and I was like, wow, I, you never realized that that guy had to be that fucking strong just to operate this jackhammer because the jackhammer goes everywhere. So I, I you know, those kind of things give me respect for, for these kind of, you know, those people who are doing that job. When everybody says, uh, everybody tells me, oh, you work hard. I said, I don't work hard. The guys out there at 100 degrees, you know, placing blocks, placing it, they work hard. I'm just, I work with my mouth. You know, those guys are doing actually the, the hard labor. So, you know. That's um that's that's what I learned. So the, 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 my my twenty year old self would be, relax, it'll all be good, you know. And don't forget, to, don't don't be afraid to delegate. 
to the right people. I love that. And then yeah. last thing that we close up with for every show, what does success mean for you at this point in your life? You know, at, at first, at this point is different. At first it was all about the money, you know, you know, you wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted, uh, you know, I come from, from a nice family, but it's, it's family money. So I wanted to make my own money. So then when you finally make your own money, that's not the success anymore. And now success is just seeing these buildings, you know, every time go up um, from creation to, 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 to the actual, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling, you know, it's a nice feeling that I built it. I designed it. That screw is there because I told him to put it there. That tree is there because I told him to put it there. And so, you know, all these things are, are, you know, it's, it's, these are my babies. They're really my babies. I grow with them and they are living, breathing organisms that don't die. You know, even when you're done building them, I don't walk away. I, I, I live in, in one of my buildings right now. I've been living here since it was finished in 2006. I, um, I, and I also sit on the boards of various other buildings that, that I've built before just to make sure the right hand is talking to the left. I think I, I bring a tremendous value to the board with respect to things that, that need to get fixed or this or that. I have contacts with my, my subcontractors who, you know, a, a board member will call them. They don't answer, but I call and they come right up. So there's a lot of that. There's the added values to me staying on. on and, and, uh, and like I said, these are my business. I'm not afraid of being hands-on. I'm not afraid to live in my own buildings because I know I built good stuff. I know people love it. And so, and, and I get complimented walking through the lobby. Still till today on this project. So it, it works, you know, it's fine by me. I love that. I love, I love how, I, lo I love how, um, how involved you still are. I think that's probably the testament. I think that's probably why you've been successful, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. That, this, that, is, that's... this is what real estate is one of those localized hands-on businesses. And, yeah. and, you know, people came to me, they said, hey, let's build over there and let's build over here. And, and my father did teach me one thing. He says, with one ass, you can be in one place at one time. And, you know, it's true. You can't, if you start spreading yourself thin and doing a million things, unless you have the greatest team in the world to delegate with, which can happen too. But, uh, but even that, I've seen bigger companies than myself with great, great, great guys, but there's certain inefficiencies and, and those great guys work for them. It's not their company. So, you know, they're more, they're, the motivations are, are not aligned necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's where it all comes from. But um, we, you know, I, I focus, I, I stay very focused on my projects. I don't try to pick off too much more than I can chew, um, you know, and so uh, that's where we are. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. 
efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials, but here's the 
best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay thank you so much indeed for sponsoring success story for all business leaders out there indeed is a lifesaver see we're always driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.